We live in a culture that says and is asking the question, who gets to define what a man is, what a woman is, what marriage is? Who decides that? Does culture decide? Do you as the individual? The most dominant idea in the world right now, in the Western world, America, Europe, um, is this idea that we call individualism. That should be your first blank there with definitions, a definition beside it. Individualism. This is the idea that says you get to define who you are and you get to decide what is best for you based on your own inward desires. That's really important to understand about the world because that means that the world is deciding and defining for themselves what is true and defining and deciding for themselves who they are, right? And I think we're about to get some mic uh, sound here, which is going to be very nice and helpful. So we know that that's not true, right? We don't decide these things. God decides these things, right? God decides, thank you, Adam. God decides and defines truth for us. And when we understand that God decides and defines truth for us, that changes everything, right? No longer are we deciding what a man is, what a woman is, what marriage is, how God has designed sex to work, relationships to work. Uh, God decides and defines that for us in his word, right? Okay, so we're going to go quickly here. So let's look at number one. We're going to talk about God's design first. Then we're going to talk about sin. Then we're going to talk about the sins of homosexuality and transgenderism and then our response to those things. Could one of you close that door right there for me? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right, so number one, God created man, woman, and marriage in his perfect design to display his glory. His perfect design to display his glory. God as creator has sole authority, sole authority to create man and woman in his design for his good purposes. Right? So, Genesis 1, 26 and 27 tells us that man and woman are made in God's image for his glory. So God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. We know that marriage union is designed and defined by God alone. We just talked about that. Who is good and is in all authority. So Genesis 2, 24 and 25 shows us the very first marriage that ever takes place in the history of creation and the world. God leads that marriage ceremony. Genesis 2, 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. The reason it's so important that we keep true to the design and definition of marriage one man and one woman for life is because marriage is doing something far greater than just a nice institution for society to run effectively. Marriage is designed by God to display a picture of the gospel. That's the next point there. So God planned the gospel first, and then marriage is set up by God to be a living picture of the gospel in creation. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32 tells us this. That the mystery is profound, that two shall become one flesh, it refers to Christ and the church. 
So now if we disrupt or rebel against God's roles for man and woman, and specifically in marriage, then we disrupt and corrupt the picture of the gospel that God has given us to display His glory to the world. And then Jesus, Jesus, that should be your next blank, affirms this definition of marriage. So I tell you that because one of the objections that you get in the world is that Jesus is silent about things like homosexuality. That can't hold up for two reasons. One, he does speak to it because he defines marriage in Matthew 19 as between one man and one woman for life, going back to the Genesis account, which we just read. And then two, people are only speaking about what Jesus says in the four Gospels when he's walking on the earth without realizing that the whole Bible is the word of Christ. So you can't detach what Jesus says in the four Gospels with what Jesus says through his word in the whole word, word, and it has a lot to say about these issues, right? So Jesus does speak directly to homosexuality, marriage, transgenders, and things like that. Okay? So marriage, biblically, is a covenant union between one man and one woman for life, period. Right? That's it. Anything outside of that and any sexual behavior or activity outside of that is sin, and it gets this label in Scripture, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is just the word that is the catch-all word for any sexual activity outside the confines of biblical marriage between one, one man and one woman for life. Okay, So that's Matthew 15, 18, if you'd like a sexual immorality verse. Let's talk about how sin breaks God's design. Number two, sin has broken God's design for sex marriage, and gender. The fall of man broke God's design and made us naturally bent towards rebellion. So the fall of man is what? What do we, what do we mean when we say the fall of man? Does anybody know? Adam and, Eve. Adam and Eve's first sin, right? You're exactly right, Peyton. Thank you. Adam and Eve's original sin, it broke God's design for marriage, gender, sex, relationships because it It fractured what God had intended and set up for his glory. So now the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, Psalm 51, 5, Romans 1, 24 and 25, that we now all have broken desires and broken bodies. Okay, so with our broken body and broken desires, that includes broken sexual desires. Okay, and this is. This is in every person. And now we are born into sin. All right, so every person then is born with a fallen bent, a bent or a nature that naturally sins. No one has to train someone to sin. You come out of the womb learning and knowing how to sin, and you all come out of the womb with a broken desire towards a specific sin. Okay? So this is very important. Why? Because sinful bents and sinful tendencies look different for every person. So the reason that you feel as though you have a certain desire that you can't shake toward a particular sin does not mean that you were designed to be that way as an identity. Does that make sense? The bent towards something does not mean that you were designed to live that way. Okay, Because you're born a sinner. You're not born 
with that particular desire as an identity. We're born broken. All right, so we often hear the phrase, I was born this way, or I need to live true to myself. Um, and what people mean when they say that is this inward desire that I have, I need to express and live out because it's who I really am. The problem is that our desires are broken from the beginning. So we don't want to embrace them and live them out. We need them to be changed. We need them to be crucified. We need them to be put to death. We need them to be submitted to Christ so we can live for his glory, right? All right, so now let's talk about if sin has broken this design, let's talk about the sinful rebellion then of these two things, homosexuality and transgenderism. Let me ask you first real quick. um, How many of you um, are in a a, uh, direct uh, culture, so a school, a workplace, where there is someone in that workplace that identifies as either transgender or homosexual. Raise your hand. Okay, very good. Thank you. Put your hands down. So that was the majority of you. So you are directly affected by this. Okay? So we need to know then, and you need to know where you stand biblically on these issues. All right, so the point of this breakout is to understand a biblical Foundation for what the Bible has to say about these things. All right? So that you know where to stand and you know how to respond. So we can't get into every question or every objection. That's not really the point of today, especially because we have such a limited amount of time. We want to build a biblical base so that way we can stand firm on God's truth and on the gospel. You with me? Okay, good. All right, number three. Homosexuality is a sinful perversion against God's design for marriage and sex. So when I use the phrase homosexuality, I'm using it to mean homosexual activity, behavior, and practice of any kind. Okay, so phrases like same-sex, same-sex marriage, or homosexuality, uh, those are all kind of interchangeable things. All right, so what would be a definition then of homosexuality? So Kevin DeYoung is a pastor... And where's my backpack here? He wrote a book called, um, let's see. He wrote this book, which I commend to all of you. This is a little book. I like little books, okay? Uh, what does the Bible really teach about homosexuality? All right, I commend this to you. Great book, super biblical and helpful. If you're interested, uh, go on Amazon and, and buy that. That'll be very helpful. He says in that book, Uh, That homosexuality is defined as, quote, the self-determined activity of those who are engaged in sexual behavior with persons of the same sex. Okay, so that's just baseline definition of what we mean when we say homosexuality. So what does the Bible say then? What are the verses that we could lean upon? All right, these are just a few. It's not all. These are a few. Um, key ones. Romans 1, 26 and 27, and I'll read it for you. And if you want to open there in your Bible, you can. Romans 1, 26 says, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. So listen to the words, dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. 
men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So from that passage alone, we see that homosexuality is dishonorable. That should be your next blank. Dishonorable. Jesus said that in the verse. Unnatural and sinful error. So this is, this is within a list in Romans 1 of the things that God is pouring out his wrath upon. It's a very serious chapter, Romans 1. God's judgment is coming on these things. Leviticus 18.22, an Old Testament reference, uh, which is then kept in the New Testament. Uh, Leviticus 18.22 says, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. All right, you see almost the exact same verse in uh, chapter 20, verse 13 of Leviticus. Uh, so it is an abomination to our holy God. That's the next one. All right, so this is rooted in the character of who God is then. This is an Old Testament law about the moral character of God held up in the New Testament. All right, one thing you might hear is that, well, it says it in the Old Testament, but it doesn't say it in the New Testament. However, we just read Romans 1, which is in the New Testament. So it says it in both Testaments. So we have to adhere. This is built in, upon the moral character and design of God. Another one. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous uh, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, so we said that earlier, right? The catch-all for anything outside the confines of biblical marriage. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. That would encompass any person involved in any way with homosexuality. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So people who are actively practicing homosexuality as an unrepentant lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what the verse said. So you might think, well, that sounds pretty harsh, Mark. But it wasn't. We didn't come up with that, right? You didn't come up with that, and neither did I. We just literally just read from the Bible. That's what it said. So, if this is an unrepentant, that means we have not turned from it. We are not embracing God's design and we're not choosing to submit this to Christ to follow Him. If we live unrepentantly in this way, Scripture tells us we are not a Christian. You guys understand that? Because any unrepentant lifestyle of any kind would mean that you're not submitted to Christ on this thing and therefore you're not following Jesus at all because to follow Jesus is to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him, right? Okay, uh, so uh, these texts from the Old Testament and the New Testament then show us that God is very clear about homosexuality. It is a sin. And it is a sin that should be repented of it can be forgiven. It needs to be forsaken. It is not a form of sexual intimacy or behavior or union that is blessed by God in any way, approved by God in any way. It should not be celebrated by you. It should not be approved by you and, or by any person under any circumstance ever. Right? That's a very clear line in the sand of what Scripture tells us. 
But it is also a sin that can be fully covered. And this is the most important part. It can be fully covered, fully forgiven by the cross of Jesus Christ. It is not too deep. It is not too gross that it could not and cannot be forgiven. And those that live in this kind of life, while their repentance will be difficult, they can be transformed by the power. Wow, what's up? By the power of the gospel to live a life of joy with Christ. Okay? Y'all just ignore that very loud roar that came on in the air. Is that, is that, can we turn that off? Great. Okay, that's just going to run while we do this. Okay. All right. Number four, transgenderism then. We're going to move on to transgenderism. Is a sinful rebellion against God's design for gender. Okay? Sinful rebellion that has been trans... Uh, what did I just say? Sinful rebellion against God's design for gender. Okay? So we need to get some uh, definitions underneath us. So um, let's get some definitions for some very key terms here. Let's look at the first two words, sex and gender. Okay? So your sex is the biological makeup or your composition by which God has made you. Okay? So this is the what you are what you are biologically. You are either biologically male or you are biologically female and you cannot be biologically anything else. Right? But male or female. Genesis 1:27 tells us that. We read that earlier. So that's your biological distinction. And then your gender, gender is the culturally, oh, thank God, culturally appropriate. Okay, so these are good words. Gender is the cultural appropriate expression of your biological sex. Gender expresses, uh, the expression of gender differs from culture to culture based on that particular culture's gender norms, okay? But that means that there is a very clear distinction how our culture expresses gender, right? That would uh, go with and match our biological sex, right? So 1 Corinthians 11 gets into that a little bit. Cultural expressions for man and woman. So this means that um, if your sex is female, your gender is female. They go together. So gender and sex cannot be mismatched or pulled apart. They go together. All right. So man and woman are made distinct in gender and biological sex, both with distinct gender roles and responsibilities. All right. So man and woman then are not interchangeable. They are distinct uh, we have distinct male and female forms, bodies, all right? The man has been made with unique masculine function and the female with unique feminine function, okay? So today, sadly, we have people who are identifying then as a different gender instead of the gender that God has given them. So now in, a soci- in our society, we have now uh, come up with the phrase or term gender identity. See, we didn't even need to use the phrase gender identity before because your gender was understood based on whether you were male or female, right? So now culture has come up with gender identity as a man-made term 
So let's look at this definition together. This is Andrew Walker. He wrote a book that I also brought to show you. God in the Transgender Debate. Andrew Walker, biblical, compassionate, gospel-centered book. Um, this was written, I believe, in 2017. And the landscape of transgenderism has changed so much in the last six years that it was just revised in 2023. So he updated some of the statistics and things like that in it. Uh, great book. Go buy that one as well. Um, in it, he says, gender identity is a person's self-perception of whether they are male or female, masculine or feminine. It's the person's self-perception of what they are. So technically, technically, everyone has a gender identity, right? We are perceiving our gender, though, rightly in accordance with our biological sex, right? So you, under, you always perceive yourself as who you really are. Or you are perceiving yourself wrongly as what you're, you know, you're not understanding what you really are. So some people feel that their gender identity then does not match, does not match biological sex. So whenever someone experiences, and these are important words, experiences distress, inner anguish, discomfort from sensing a conflict between their gender identity and their biological sex, that person is experiencing something that is called gender dysphoria. So that is an experience where you have inner stress and anguish that your body does not match how you feel to be. That makes sense? That's called gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria then is defined as the mismatch, the mismatch between gender that matches their biological sex versus the gender they feel themselves to be. It's an inner conflict. And this inner conflict is a genuine experience. This is what you have to understand. It is a genuine experience mentally for some to feel this way. They feel that their body is lying to them. A person in this situation really thinks or might claim to think that he or she should be or would be better as the opposite gender or no gender at all. That's the world we live in currently. So gender dysphoria is an experience someone has. Gender dysphoria is not an identity. Okay? So under, good to understand that. The feeling of gender dysphoria is not yet the same as identifying as transgender. Some people may choose to deny their gender dysphoria experience, understanding that it is a broken self-perception of themselves and choose to live in their biological body the way God designed them to live. So you see how that broken desire, some people will still choose to follow Jesus and submit it to Christ knowing that it's a broken desire. It's still not yet transgender. Transgender is defined as then the umbrella term for the state or condition of identifying or expressing a gender identity that does not match a person's sex, biological or genetic sex. Transgender also can refer to someone who's not identifying with one particular gender at all or at all times. All right, the going back and forth between two genders, people claim that they're male one day and female the next or then non-binary the next. That back and forth is called gender fluid. So if someone says they're gender fluid, that's what they mean, they go back and forth. The phrase non-binary 
is now an umbrella term that identifies uh, for, for identities that say they do not qualify as being either masculine or feminine. So they say, I don't fit anywhere. I'm non-binary. That's what that means. So if you hear that phrase, that's also what that means as well. So transgenderism can take the form in several different ways. It can take the form in dressing um, in, a, in a culturally normal way that would be for the person of the opposite sex. So like men wearing dresses, for instance, would be a form, a cross-dressing would be a type of form that moves into transgenderism, for instance. Okay, uh, People can receive hormonal treatments, puberty blockers, to have their physical bodies altered so that they can their body can match how they feel. Okay? Affirming transgender identity and equality is now completely pervasive in every sphere of American culture. Especially within the last 5 years, it has accelerated so fast that it is now it is now um pervasive that we must affirm this as an identity and demand equality and so it's transforming the landscape of sexual ethics in America and it's negatively impacting sports uh, politics jobs what we teach all the way down to elementary school and even healthcare okay we now don't a lot of our society now refers to pregnant women as pregnant people. Right? That's the world we live in. Claiming that a man could be pregnant when really only biological women can be pregnant. Right? We were all aware of this, correct? Yeah. It makes you want to laugh, doesn't it, sometimes? Sometimes it does. Because many of you in the room can see how this just lacks normal, common sense. But to many, there might be some of you in the room where this is not a laughing matter and you're directly affected by this in some way. You're trying to either navigate these water with someone you love or you have some sort of gender dysphoria feeling in you currently in the room because I don't know all of you, right? And you may have a broken desire that needs to be laid down at the feet of Jesus, right? So while... You may want to laugh at some of the extremes. This is not really a laughing matter at all. We're talking about rebellion against God's design for gender. Um, Some of the leading hospitals in America are doing gender reassignment surgery. That's what the phrase is. Gender reassignment surgery, where you can have your physical body surgically changed and altered to match the gender that you would like to be. This is brand new in the world. So you can, you can go have parts of your body removed or added so that your physical body can resemble the one you would, the gender you would like to be. This is sin. This is sin. This is nothing else but rebellion against the way God made you. So how should we then understand gender identities Sin. How should we biblically process it? So here's just four things, right? To understand why it's sin. Transgenderism rejects how God has made us in his good authority as creator. So Romans 1, 23 to 25. 
transgenderism denies that our body belongs to the Lord for his glory and his purposes, 1 Corinthians 6, 14 to 20, where 1 Corinthians 6 uh, says that you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. It says in verse 14 in that chapter that uh, uh, your body belongs to the Lord. The body was meant for the Lord. I mean, what a statement, right? In transgender culture as a Christian, the body is for the Lord. It's not for us to do what we want with it. Uh, third thing, transgenderism refuses to acknowledge the truth of how we are made. Transgenderism is a direct rebellion against objective truth about how God made you. And exchanges truth for a lie. Romans 1.24, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Transgenderism says that God is not in authority. I am. Genesis 3, 6, that God does not know what's best for me. God's rules are not the ones I am to follow. I am my highest authority, and I get to define what my body will be like. So how should we then, knowing all of this, how should we then respond with the hope of the gospel? Okay, so that was our biblical foundation. Now we as Christians, how do we enter into this? So uh, we need to, number one, we need to know how to lovingly respond to common objections and questions. So I'm going to give us three. There's more, but I'm just going to give us three because we had only 45 minutes to start. So here's three common objections. Number one, can't someone be a gay Christian or a transgender Christian? That's a very good question in our culture, and you need to have an answer for it. Okay? Uh, The phrase gay Christian, especially gay Christian, is being thrown around a lot. As more and more churches become embracing of this as an idea and an identity. And I want to, we need to be strong on what uh, two different categories are to understand this, okay? To answer this question. We must know the difference between number one, the embracing of, that's the blank there, the embracing of or the approval of a sinful lifestyle, homosexual or transgender, versus the ongoing struggle and fight of a sinful temptation or behavior. Those are two different things. One is the embracing of, the acceptance of, the enjoyment of the sin, the choice, the lifestyle, the broken desire, versus I understand it's a broken desire and I'm choosing to follow Jesus and deny that broken desire in obedience to Him. You see, those are two different things, right? So 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, through which we read earlier, showed us that anyone who embraced an unrepentant, homosexual lifestyle or behavior will not inherit the kingdom of God. Therefore, they're not a Christian. Only Christians inherit the kingdom of God, right? So if someone says to you that they are a gay Christian, quote, and they mean by saying that that they identify themselves as gay or embrace any homosexual activity without repentance, that person do not deceive yourselves, is not a Christian. Because 1 Corinthians 6 says they're not. In this case, a, quote, gay Christian would be an impossible category. And verse 11 showed us in that chapter that they can be forgiven 
that they do not have to continue in this sin anymore, that Jesus can wash them and make them a new creation. If someone was to identify as a, quote, gay Christian or a trans Christian, and they said that, meaning that they felt a sinful temptation to engage in activity of the opposite sex, or they were tempted to identify as anything other than the God-given gender that they have, and that person is constantly fighting this battle with repentance, trusting in the grace of Jesus found in the gospel, that person, one, is a Christian because they're convicted of their sin and they're choosing to follow Christ instead of their brokenness. And then, two, as the church, we need to help them. Okay? So an application for you in all this is you need to help the struggling brother or sister carry this burden that they feel. The church, which seems like the most embarrassing place to have this struggle, should be the safest place to have this struggle. We as brothers and sisters in Christ need to help our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who struggle with either same-sex attraction or homosexual behavior or feeling that they themselves are in the wrong body that doesn't match their gender and they want to follow Jesus and they know it's broken and they know it's a sin, we need to come alongside them and help them. And we need to keep them accountable. We need to show them that they are forgiven. They are a new creation. They can follow Jesus because we all have sinful uh, acts of rebellion that we have to submit to Christ to, right? They struggle with this just like you would struggle with heterosexual lust or pornography. This is their struggle. And if you struggle with pornography in the room, you constantly have to lay that down at the feet of Jesus, submit it to him because it is also sexual immorality and you need the church, right? Right? So we need to help our brothers and sisters. And then we need to encourage them to, and this is, I find, important. We need to encourage these brothers or sisters in Christ who are calling themselves a, quote, gay Christian because of this fight that they have. We need to help them not use the phrase or identity gay Christian because it's not who they are. Right? They're a Christian. They are in Christ. They are a child of God. They are a new creation. They are a follower of Jesus. And they're a sinner. And they need the grace of Jesus just like you and I do. It is not a biblical category. It's not an identity. Their identity is that they are, quote, in Christ, Ephesians 1. All right, so that's objection one. Objection two is you might hear sometimes, but God is love. Won't he just accept me no matter what? Okay? So yes, God is love, 1 John 4, 8 and 16. Of course he is. He defines what love is, and that's very important. So you might hear the phrase thrown around in culture that love is love. Love is just whatever you want it to be. You can love whoever you want, whenever you want, however you want, at any time. Is that really love? No. God is love. Therefore, love is defined by the character of God according to his design. All right? So God's love does not equal acceptance or affirmation of any sin. That is not loving. No responsible parent would ever think that loving their child means that they can affirm every desire that they have. That's insanity. I have five kids. My oldest child is seven. Okay? My son is seven. If he told me that he felt it would be right for him to go under the sink, pull out a gallon of bleach, and drink it, if he thought that was what was best for him, 
and I and 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 he thinks that it's loving of me to let him do that because that's what he feels he needs to do. Is it loving for me to let my seven-year-old son drink a gallon of bleach? No, because he'll die on the kitchen floor. Right? That is not loving at all. I should go to prison if I let him do that. Right? Because that makes me not loving. God is love means that he does not approve, affirm, or accept any sin because it is the very thing that kills us and sends us to hell. It's the very thing that Jesus had to shed his blood for. And Jesus didn't shed his blood so that you could continue in sin. He shed his blood to take away your sin. He shed his blood to free you from sin, not so that you could go on sinning, Romans 6. If we have a view of Christianity where Jesus died, so now I can sin and do whatever I want, we still don't understand the gospel. Jesus died to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. So yeah, God is loving, and his love means that he will not accept this particular sin, because sin All sin, including homosexual or trans sin, separates us from God. All sin kills us. Jesus died to take away sin. The cross shows us how much God loves us. It shows us how he forgives us, and it shows us what our punishment really is for sin. Number three, we've touched on this already. People saying, I was born this way. Well, no one is born gay. Or in the wrong body, rather they are born a sinner. They're born a sinner and their sinful heart pulls them towards any broken desire. So, so this would be no different than a per- no one is born a murderer. Right? A person can be born a sinner with a sinful bent towards rage, violence, and aggression leading them to murder. But we would not say in our culture that this person was born a murderer and that's his identity and he should be free to live that out and murder whoever he wants. No, we put those people behind bars because we know that's a broken desire. Culture can see that and feel that. But the, So the brokenness of sin as a desire does not mean you should embrace that desire and express it and live it out. While it is a broken desire, it's a sinful bent that must be changed and transformed by the gospel. All right. Um, where are we here? We need to do three things. I've got my pages mixed up here. We need to do three ways then we can respond to, to our neighbors in a way that shows that we are a effective gospel witness. We need to know how to love our neighbors. So what I'd actually like to do is, do you guys see Jesus number two? Is that say number two, Jesus? Yeah. You guys see that? Okay, good. Just make sure. My notes got a little wonky here. All right, so uh, number two, we need to look at the character of Christ real quick. Jesus befriended the sexually broken with perfect love and compassion, yet without affirming their lifestyle, and we are called to do the same. So it's possible for us, to love them without affirming them. In fact, we must love and not affirm. It's the place where we have to be. So, um, 
Jesus is called a friend of sinners. He eats and drinks with sinners. He drinks with tax collectors. He eats with prostitutes. And he was a friend of sinners, yet he never affirms their sin. And he tells the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. He doesn't say that what she did was good. All right? So, teenager, you need to be wise about this. This is really a hard spot that you're in, to love yet not affirm. We don't know how to really separate the two very well. So one way, just think about this, is that you should find a way to befriend a sexually broken person while still keeping your closest friends followers of Jesus. That would be my encouragement to you. It's harder to love and not affirm when your very closest friend is not a Christian choosing to live a gay or trans lifestyle. And I'm not giving you a, a, a rule because maybe you grew up with that person or, 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 or maybe it was a person that followed Christ and now isn't. What I'm telling you is that your closest friends need to be in the church and then be fueled and equipped and encouraged by them to now go live and love people who identify as these things. Okay? Um, Alistair Begg is a pastor in Cleveland and he says this. <laughs> Homosexual people, and you can make this for transgender uh, as well. Homosexual people are either hated or they are affirmed. That's what they think, he's saying. So they think by the church they are either hated or affirmed. Those are their only two options, they believe. Those are the only two options for them. The Christian actually does neither. We cannot hate because of God's word. And we cannot affirm because of God's word. So we live in the space of we have to love them yet not affirm what they do because affirming is not love. All right, quickly, we're going to do this really fast. Number three, be a loving neighbor in order to share the gospel. Be a loving neighbor in order to share the hope of the gospel. Mark 12, 31, love your neighbor as yourself. Three ways we can be a loving neighbor to those who identify as gay or trans. Number one, be the most loving, gentle, kind person on the planet towards those who identify as gay or transgender. Titus 3, 2-5 shows that we were once ourselves foolish, disobedient, slaves to various passions. Uh, and one day in the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared to us and saved us, not because of works done righteousness, but according to God's mercy. We were once foolish. We are also sexually broken sinners just like they are, even though it's expressing itself in a different way. And so rather than being known as Christians who are self-righteous, disgusting, arrogant, argumentative, debating on Facebook, having locked doors in our house from those who have a different struggle than us, we should not be like that. Right? We need to be loving and kind. Kind. We never have a reason to be unkind to somebody. Ever. Loving, kind, gentle toward them to compel them to see what it looks like to follow Christ. Number two, live in the world but not like the world. I love what we've been talking about this weekend. Be shaped. Uh, what, what has Pastor Chip said? Um, do not be shaped by the world. Be shaped by the word. That's great. John 15, 18, and 19. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. You were, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus said that. Number three, share the gospel through conversations that are gentle, respectful towards sexually broken people rather than sharing it in a way that is impatient, harsh, or being judgmental. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, 
that we should honor Christ in our hearts as holy. We should be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks us for the hope that is in us, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So here's, here's what you need to know before you pack up. Listen, listen. We just like unpacked like a ton and we didn't explore it or go deep really on any of it. We just baseline for all of it, right? What we need to know as what I'm guessing is mostly Christians in the room, okay? Is that there is hope for every broken sexual sinner in the world in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.24 says, By his wounds we have been healed. And I just want to encourage you that if you are personally struggling with a homosexual temptation or sin, or you're having gender struggles, do not be discouraged. Your church is to help you and support you and surround you. You're not alone. Jesus is better than that struggle. Following Him is better than embracing that struggle. I promise you that. To deny yourself and follow Jesus is better than that. I would encourage you to tell a trusted adult in your life, a youth pastor in your life, a a Sunday school teacher in your life, of whatever that particular struggle is. And for those of you who have friends or coworkers or neighbors that are in these two camps, that you would love them like crazy, that you would still stand on truth, that you would honor them as being made in the image of God, yet saying, but because I love you, I, 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 I literally cannot affirm who you say you are. But I love you, and I'm here for you, and I'm here to stay right next to you. And I want you to know the joy that I have in Christ. Okay? All right, we did it. 11.59. Great listening, great notes. I encourage you to read all those verses uh, on your own. Um, Hey, you've got a couple, you've got another breakout on social media and digital technology um, coming up at one. I hope that's great. Um, Let me pray for lunch, and then we're going to go downstairs and have lunch, okay? Father, thank you for these students. Lord, I pray that they would stand on God's Word, that they would be loving and kind and share the Gospel with with people who fall into these sexually broken camps. And we pray that they would do so uh, in a way that glorifies God and shows that Christ is better than everything in their life. Thankful for them. Thank you that they're here. Now we pray you would bless us and, and, and may the food nourish our bodies in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.